the Gung Fu Crew Podcast, bringing together practitioners of various styles and schools and their unique perspectives to explore the world of Chinese martial arts. This episode of the Gung Fu Crew Podcast will focus on Xing Yichuan, one of the so-called internal styles of Chinese martial arts, whatever that exactly means, but also one of the most well-known forms of Kung Fu or Wushu. Specifically, Xing Yichuan was one of the styles that was brought to Beijing, the capital of the Republic of China in the early 20th century, that became quite renowned there. Many of their practitioners, their, their masters and teachers, uh, were um, highly skilled fighters and soon made a reputation for themselves, but also for the training method of Xing Yi. The expert practitioner um, who is going to introduce the methods of Xing Yichuan is none other than Byron Jacobs, currently residing in Beijing and probably known to many of you uh, through his uh, Drunken Boxing podcast, also focused on martial arts, as well as his uh, Mushin Martial Arts Culture uh, YouTube channel and Instagram channel, where he is also sharing a lot of videos regarding Xing Yichuan, Bagua Zhang, but also the history of these styles and martial arts in China in general. He had the opportunity to learn Xing Yichuan from Di Yong, one of the most renowned experts and masters of Xing Yichuan as, uh, as well as Bagua Zhang, currently living in Beijing. And he was also willing to share um, his profound insights uh, with me for this podcast episode. And I hope that you find it as insightful and fascinating as I did. Welcome, Byron, to the Kung Fu Crew podcast. I'm very happy to have the opportunity to talk to you. Um, before we dive into uh, martial arts, uh, um, maybe you can give a quick introduction, maybe let uh, people know who you are. I would assume that a lot of people already know you, but for those who don't, maybe you can give them a, a short rundown of, of uh, who you are and, and what you've been doing uh, so far. Sure. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm quite interested uh, to see other people do the same, you know, uh, more podcasts on Chinese martial arts, because I think uh, we need to promote the Chinese martial arts as much as possible. Uh, so I'm glad that there's yet another one for people to listen to. My name is Byron Jacobs. Um, I was originally born in South Africa. I'm a Greek Cypriot descent. Um, I started doing martial arts very young, uh, mostly with Japanese styles. And then in my teens, I started doing uh, various Chinese martial arts that were available to me um, in the area. Following that, I started doing uh, a, a lot more of the sport-oriented Chinese martial arts, including forms and combat uh, disciplines. I always felt that you needed to do both, which in hindsight, I realized was weird in the sports uh, environment of the, the way the sport is set up, but that we can get into later. Um, And throughout that, I'd always been interested primarily in traditional Chinese martial arts. And for some reason, Xing Yichuan had always been something that I'd been interested in. Uh, long story short, I eventually started doing Xing Yichuan with Di uh, Guoyong in Beijing. Um, and I would come out annually. I'd been coming out to Beijing since early 2000s, 2001, 2002, annually, uh, to train as well, but uh, then I, I was coming out after I'd met Di Guoyong to train with him annually. And then at about the end of 2009, I thought, well, I need to be with him all the time to, to do this properly. So I moved to Beijing permanently at the end of 2009, beginning of 2010. Um, and I've been training with him, doing uh, both his Hebei Xing Yichuan and his Liang style Bagua, uh, primarily focused on Xing Yi. I try to fo follow his his road or his uh, uh, route that he went, which was he had become very, um, he had, you know, become basically what you'd consider a master of Xing Yichuan before he started doing Bagua. And I thought that uh, I'd like to follow that same, that same route. Oh, sorry. About Makes that. sense. Yeah. And um, yeah, so th that was that uh, professionally in that in the interim, because of my experience in Chinese martial arts, and I had done quite a bit in the official realm in South Africa, I'd also, I'd also been a national, which we call a protea athlete, which is the highest level athlete recognition you can get in South Africa for the sports thing. When I when I started living in, in China, I'd already been quite an experienced uh, 
Chinese martial arts judge for, for the International Wushu Federation. And then I became a member of their technical committee. Then I became their, their technical and event manager for the, for the, for the uh, International Federation. And um, I, I was also the person that did the um, technical representation for the Olympic bid. Again, we can get into that. But, you know, that was uh, always a, a, how can I say, it? that was my work. And I had been always trying to somewhat shift the direction of the sport to try to come back to some semblance of uh, sanity, um, you know, uh, through through my my involvement in the technical side of things there. But um, you know, we we I parted ways with the international organization in 2018 um but you know that was like i said it was something on the side in terms of chinese martial arts practice my, my practice mm. has always been has always been you know uh, uh, what i've been doing xi chen etc traditional styles so yeah. yeah that's a that's me in a nutshell i started the mushin martial culture youtube channel a few years ago trying to put out more content i put out both instructional material as well as translated and other uh, culturally connected to Chinese martial arts, including uh, older materials, newer materials, interviews, etc. And more recently, I published a book which I've been working on for about 10 years called Dragon Body, Tiger Spirit, a translation of the classic texts of Xin Yi Chuan. Yeah. yeah, that's why I assume that I, I guess a lot of people already know you because you've been quite active online. We should definitely get uh, get into like how you started to to learn from your teacher um, at some point, but maybe let's do some housekeeping first in the sense of uh, maybe define some of these terms because we talk a lot about martial arts and, and kung fu and wushu and stuff like that. So, how would you define martial arts? Like, what is martial arts to you? All right. So, I mean, in general, martial arts would be a practice or a physical activity that includes aspects primarily focused on combat in various forms, whether it's uh, barehanded and or weapons or both. Um, I don't want to get too much in terms of the, when I consider the term martial arts, I don't want to try to give it a date, uh, because I think um, if you try to give it a date, you're going to run into trouble. So when we talk about general mm. martial arts, we're talking about an activity that uh, a person uh, engages in to train um, Combat arts, whether armed or unarmed, um, that would be the general uh, the general definition. Chinese martial arts, however, is something specific as well. So that would be a subdivision of martial arts. Um, yeah. And what, what term would you use then? Would you uh, do you use usually the term wushu or or uh, kung fu or I mean there are older terms for this as well. But like mm -hmm. what what do you usually do? So both of those terms, I think, are valid terms. And at different stages throughout my life, I would have favored one or the other. But, you know, we have a history that we have to be aware of. Uh, definition of the correct term or not aside, you have to be kind of aware that certain terms were used in a specific way uh, in different parts of the world, and you can't ignore that. So um, wushu should be the correct general term for Chinese martial arts. Um, and unfortunately, in today's times and due to the history, that has been more connected with the sportified version of it, which is highly acrobatic and very performance-based. Um, which is kind of ironic, but that's a different discussion. Um, and Kung Fu is the term that most people understand in the West as Chinese martial arts. I mean, I had times when I said Wushu to people that didn't know much that asked me if that was a pork dish. So um, I can understand that we have to be aware of these. And that's why I say we could probably use either or. If you want me to say which is which is the correct term. Of course, I'm going to say wushu is the correct term, but then we'd have to sit and do a whole lot of uh, redefining the other, well, for example, the sport version of it. And that should, in my opinion, have a different name. Yeah. Um, so I would use them both inter interchangeably. Kung Fu, I think, is a little bit clearer when we're talking about to Westerners and you want to say I'm doing traditional Chinese martial arts. It's just so much easier to say I do Kung Fu. And then they understand yeah. for the most part. Hmm. So, yeah. And what I found interesting is that uh, my, my, my experience in China, a lot of people, like uh, people who actually practice, 
they I, I don't know they I mean they would use probably kung fu in the original sense of skill like developing skill um, they understand that it's also used to to describe martial arts in general but as, uh, in my experience they wouldn't even use wushu either they would just call it chuan or chuan fa or something like an, like an, Lian chuan. Lian chuan. yeah exactly so it's uh, it's quite interesting that that I think they're very pragmatic about this right it's uh, well, mm -hmm. even you'll have a time. I mean, you've you've been here, so at times, if you tell people that you do wushu here, they might ask you "chungo wushu ma" because they understand yeah. the term wushu as the term martial arts in English. Yeah. Which is why I say, in in Chinese, it is the correct term. In English, wushu is the should be the correct term referring to Chinese martial arts. But you can see in Chinese, wushu literally means martial arts. Yeah, so, it's all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same experience when you talk to young Chinese people for them Kung Fu, they also ask me exactly this, like, oh, Zhongguo Kung Fu, like <laughs> Chinese yeah. Kung Fu rather than, I think they, that's what I mean. I think they were very pragmatic because, I mean, it's mm. these are just terms in the language. Yeah, and we, we know Kung Fu means, uh, you know, uh, skill developed over time. I mean, that's yeah. the, the actual meaning and it could be for anything. You could have Kung Fu yeah. for cook, cooking or playing the piano or, yeah. you know. But I think because of that confusion, I think it's always good to to... Um, make sure that we i mean maybe not even necessarily use the same terms but that we know what we mean when we actually say wushu or kung fu or whatever right um, right i think that's helpful so let, let but let's get into it i mean you you already said that um you had a quite a quite a bit of martial arts background before actually learning from from Digo Yong, but mm -hmm. then you you always had an interest in xingichuan um but how did you how did you um, get to learn from from Digo Yong? Like, what was what was the the impact or the, the initial impulse? You said, "Oh yeah, this is the guy I want to learn from, and and this is what I want to do." So, I'd ha like I mentioned, I'd always had an interest in the art, um, and I'd always been trying to get my hands on whatever I could get my hands on. Um, and one of the things I got was a DVD that my teacher had produced. It was a series that were produced by some company in in I think it's in Guangzhou. Uh, maybe 20 years ago now, or I don't even know if it's even longer than that. I mean, I don't actually recall when they were produced. And I watched the DVD and I was like, he's very clear, very, you know, direct. It's uh, it's clear and precise instruction. I want to learn from this guy. And I'd done more searching and I found that uh, his books had been translated into English by Andrea Falk in Canada. Mm-hmm. And of course, I reached out to Andrea and I bought his books. And I also sent her an email asking if there's any way to get in contact with him. And she gave me his contact details. I mean, very nice of her. So she is actually the catalyst that really led me to him. Um, and of course, I'm eternally grateful to her. She's my elder Marshall sister. Um, so that's basically how I got in contact with him. And then I, when, I, when I came through to Beijing, um, then I contacted him and uh, I, I still remember the first day uh, he said, oh, yeah, well, I'm at Zhu uh, Yuan on uh, tomorrow. You can come tomorrow at this time. Zhu Yuan is Purple Bamboo Park, which is not far from where he lives. Um, it's close to Haidian, which he lives in Haidian district. And I mean, it's a big park. And he said close to this gate uh, at this time. And I kind of I mean, it was quite funny because I had gone there on time but i think he might have forgotten that i said i was coming he was there anyway and i walked past him not at the spot that i said i'd meet him at there was some guy doing calligraphy on the you know with water on the floor and he was mm -hmm. standing next to him watching him do calligraphy and i saw him and i was like uh and he's like Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, what time is it? Oh, yes. And, uh, but, you know, that could have gone a million other ways. I could have missed him, not seen him, walked to the other side. He might have mistaken the time. I would have been waiting. Mm. I, probably, I probably would have stayed for a long time. But who knows what fate would have been like if, if I didn't walk past him. So, yeah, that, that was the first time. And I guess something must have made you stay, right? So when you started learning from him, what was it that you, that um, convinced you that, oh, yeah, this is going to be my, I mean, maybe he didn't know right in the beginning, but obviously he has become your main teacher. So what what was it? So like I said, I could see from his, um, both his books and his DVDs, he was a very logical, clear, down-to-earth teacher. And um as you, as you know, I had a background dealing with, uh, you know, uh, the international organizations before that. So I had met 
a bunch of, you know, well-known teachers in the past. And there was just something about his, not only his logic and his attitude, but his spirit that was very open, but very honest and direct. I guess that's just a result of Xingyi Trend, but the honesty part was also something, you know, different, but also very grounded. He was down to earth. He still is. He's a very down to earth guy. There's no space for mumbo jumbo and, and, and nonsense with him. He'll tell you exactly what he thinks and why he thinks so. And usually he's a hundred percent right when he explains to you why he thinks something is either useless or incorrect. He doesn't just say that because, you know, you've probably had this experience with some Chinese teachers that they'll tell you it's wrong. But if you ask them why it's wrong, either they'll get upset with the question or they won't be able to explain. Well, he's the exact opposite. He'll tell you this is not the best way to do it. And then he'll sit and stare at you because he's waiting for you to ask him why. And if you don't ask him why, he's like, this kid's not very interested. He's a bit lazy. He's not going to be a good student. So he wants you to ask why, and then he'll show you and explain without a doubt why it is the way it is or why something means what it means or why you should do something in a specific way. So I knew that this person was exactly who I needed to be studying from. Hmm. So how, how did you then learn Xing Chuan? I mean, I would assume that because you already had some background, you maybe didn't start from scratch, or I don't know. But what, what, what does it look like when you, when you would learn Xing Yi from, from Di Goyong? So that, I'll give you a, a bit of an overview of that first day. Um, of course, I had his books and I had his initial, his basic DVD. And I had been trying to follow a little bit on my own. So, of course, he asks me my background. I I told them I had a predominantly northern background. I did some uh, classical, traditional northern as well as uh, contemporary northern. So I had done quite a lot of northern Chinese martial arts and some other stuff too. I did some southern too, but northern was my my focus. And then I told them I'd also, you know, been practicing the DVD uh, from the DVD and from his books. I've been doing Xin Yi Chuan basics. And he's like, okay. And at, by that point, I had, you know, I had thought I know the five elements, right? That's what I thought. Um, He said, okay, let me see your sun t-shirt, uh, which is the post standing, you know, it's one of the core uh, training methods yeah. of Xing Yi Chuan. It's the, the forever exercise. You start with it and you die doing it at the end of your life as well. So I did sun t-shirt thinking, ah, oh, this is going to be good. And he looked at me and he's like, walked around me, said, hmm, okay, we have to start all over again. <laughs> so that was, you know, basically what, uh, uh, you know, that was the beginning of my training. So we started, of course, with this, with building it from the ground up. So, so starting know. with, with sun t-shirt, so like correcting the, the posture or the, like what? Uh... E everything. So initially he'll start with the, the general structure. So first you'll, you'll make sure the general structure is correct. That includes placement angles predominantly placement and angles but then he you know and this probably won't be in the first day but then he'll move on to the uh, underlying or contained energetic uh, manifestations so where is the force and what kind of force you're using you can't see it it has to be told to you hmm. um, and then of course this is led by intent so those two things usually start coming out at the same time, because the easiest way to explain somebody how to manifest the correct force muscularly or with his body is by explaining the intention that should be there. And then usually this is, this is why the, you know, the saying of the three internal harmonies about Yi being first, right? And at the end you've got Li is so valid. And it's something that people, you know, um, kind of misunderstand, but it's, it's not, a separate thing it's it's one thing you know the hmm. intention when the intention is there and then it manifests in your body then the muscles start or the you know the, the the tension of the muscles the ligaments and how they work starts to manifest that you could consider the manifestation of chi for all intents and purposes which is then physical which produces physical power right so hmm. This is the most important thing, and it was also the hardest thing. Even with Santisha, the second we added the correct intention and the correct contained powers, etc., suddenly standing even for 10 seconds was torture. It was, it's not the same anymore. So, 
this is usually what we began with. And I remember in the beginning that I couldn't stand for very long. And I'd start, you know, uh, suffering quite quickly. And he'd see that and he'd say, don't worry, change legs. I said, but it's only been like a minute. He's like, doesn't matter. Change onto the other side and do that until you start to collapse on that side and then change to the other side. He said, because there's no point in you staying on one side and doing it badly now because you can't hold it, but just staying there for a long time. And this, again, mm. is what, again, a, a big misunderstanding of standing or doing Zhuang, post-standing and doing specifically Santi Shi. People sit and ask you how long you stand for. That shouldn't be the question. The question should be, how do you stand? Mm. Because I can stand in a very nonchalant way for an hour if you want me to, but it's not going to have the right effect. It's pointless. So mm. it's better to stand correctly for shorter than to stand incorrectly for longer. Would you then, would, would uh, uh, Dilosha then move on to, to the five fists or to moving exercises quickly, or would you actually practice, so like focus on Santisha for a relatively long time? I guess not three years, like some people have mm. said you with Mabu for three years or Santi for three years or, or stuff like that. But um, how, how quickly would you, would you guys move on to moving exercises? So that's an interesting question because I had this discussion with him and he told me about, you know, classically you stand for three years and um, his teacher stood for three years. And um, mm. he said, but that's not, he feels it's not required. Um, so he himself didn't, wasn't forced by his teacher. He stood for three months, my teacher, okay. um, because Here's the thing, um, as we come into more, we got to also understand the differences in mentality and the standards of society are not the same. A lot of that three years thing had to do with that aspect. It wasn't really, it's not to say you've got to take three years to develop skill, otherwise your Kung Fu is incorrect. That's not it, because you never stop doing Sun T-shirt. Hmm. We start every single training session with sun t-shirt, something you'll do for the rest of your life. So if you're standing for three years, it's not particularly about sun t-shirt. It's about a whole lot of other things, including a testing of character, X, Y, Z, cultural connections with regards to other aspects that are not so well known, but they're, they're classically within uh, Confucian learning aspects as well. So um, he didn't make me stand, of course, for three years, but we didn't then go very quickly into other things. He's adamant. You start with sun t-shirt, then you start with footwork basic footwork. So we mm -hmm. started with basic stepping before we did any of the upper body actions. And that has to start developing. And then slowly you'll start moving into the elements, usually on the spot first, and then you start combining it with the footwork. And then once the footwork and the handwork is co correct, you move on to the second elements. When you start getting to the th third, it starts to change because in our in Hebei, Xingyi Quan, our Bung Quan, the first version or the primary version is considered Banbu Bung Quan, half-step Bung Quan, which is now a different type of stepping compared to the previous stepping that you did with the first oh. basic versions of P Quan and Zuan Quan. So then again, you start learning a completely uh, and focusing on an, a different version or a different method of stepping, which has a very different energetic property to the normal stepping. It's not just half a step, like some people think. It's got... Mm. In some senses, it has a complete inversion of the energies contained in a normal step, but that's a too technical a thing to discuss uh, just over a, a conversation. And then, mm. of course, the fourth and the fifth, you start have zigzag stepping with their own peculiarities. So he would very clearly start with stepping, and then uh, basically, as you start doing each element, you first do it on the spot, and then you move into doing them combining with the stepping. But what, what, what I get from that is that because outwardly, I mean, even the five elements look quite simplistic, but you, you guys focus a lot then on the quality of movement in each, each part of, of uh, these very kind of, mm. again, outwardly looking simple exercises, right? Yes. So they look simple. Um, and that's also been something that I've found uh, to be somewhat of a universal truth with Chinese martial arts. The techniques that outwardly look uh, elaborate and complicated or complex are usually a lot less simple in terms of their structural and vector requirements in the body. Uh, 
uh, and the techniques that are generally simplistic looking from the outside to the untrained eye are usually very refined and complicated with their body mechanics and their vectors. So it's a constant refinement. I mean, like I said, we do Santi sure forever. You'll also do the five elements forever. And there's not just one version of each of the elements. There's variations that start mm -hmm. to be added on top. So it's a, it's a constant thing. It's a constant thing. Another thing that I didn't mention that my teacher heavily focused on is Kung Fa and Neigong. And uh, he might start teaching basic versions as you start your training, like one type of very simple Kung Fa. But as you train with him longer and longer, he introduces deeper and more refined versions of Neigong and Kung Fa. And these work on two levels. They work on a physical level and a subconscious or psychological level. So they have very specific um, movements and motions with very specific intentions, but you have to coordinate it with specific breathing. Um, and this starts over long periods of time, working on you on a subconscious level, which programs you to move in a specific way when your hands or your legs are doing a specific action that is contained in there. And then when that action or that type of movement appears in the five elements or the 12 animals, you've already started refining that part of the body mechanics through the Neigong and the Kung Fa. It starts to come out. You start to go, ah, okay, this makes sense now. Hmm. So it's a, it's a very refined and very systematic method. It's not, it's not um, haphazardly thrown together. It's very systematic. Hmm. So these Kung Fu, would you practice these sitting down, standing, moving, like, oh, just to get an idea? So um, sitting down, not really. Uh, that, that would be something else. That's like uh, Shoshin, like when you're doing recovery stuff, we have stuff like mm -hmm. that. That's not really working on mechanics and stuff. But the large majority of them are usually moving. Your feet are usually staying either on the spot or they're moving very slightly one step left and right depending there's quite a few of them but they're for the most part moving so we do do static of course santi sure is a static uh kung fa you can consider it some type of neigong mm. um but we favor doing moving kung fa more so you will do the static but for us it's better to do more moving kung fa on neigong and kung fa on the spot than to do static mm. interesting i see a lot of parallels to to chinese taiji in, in that mm. regard Quite interesting. And assuming that you, you reach a decent level with uh, that, that practice that you described, I mean, with Santi and the, the five fists and also introducing these uh, elements of, of Kung Fu, where would you go from there? You already mentioned the, the 12 animals, but mm. I'm sure there are also other exercises that you would then start doing. Or like, what would be the next level, the next step? So usually once you've done the five elements, you start to do some sort of a five elements linking form. So that would be your first uh, introduction to starting to... Uh, not do single individual techniques in repetition one after the other, but to change techniques. So that's, the, the, in essence, what, what the basis of the first linking form would be, showing you how to connect different techniques as opposed to just one or the other. And that would be generally the first uh, progression you would do with Xing Lian Huan Quan. Um, one of the benefits of Xing Yi Quan, which is quite uh, logical in its approach, is we do hundreds of repetitions of each exercise on a daily basis. If you're doing mm. one line of P-Trend, depending on your space, and let's say you go out and you do 10, and you come back and you do 10, and you do two lines on, at every training session, you know, you're doing 20, 40 repetitions of that one technique every day. You hit the number 10,000 in a relatively short period of time. That's why it's actually a double-edged sword. If you're doing it correctly, you're going to hit a level of competence quickly as long as you do each repetition correctly. Hmm. But if you, the other, other double-edged part of the sword is that if you're doing it wrong, you will ingrain it badly very quickly. Hmm. So that's, that's you know, one of the aspects that is quite important in Xing Yichuan. The fact that we, we do so many repetitions you have to make sure it's correct. And that's one of the aspects that my, my teacher focuses on. But once you've done the, the five elements linking, you'll probably start doing uh, the animals. Uh, at some point, uh, you know, you'll do the animals. My teacher is quite keen on getting you to start doing uh, 
quite at that point you'd probably have already started doing basic spear exercises mm -hmm. the, the spear body mechanics are actually the core of the five elements so it's really important for me it was almost a key that unlocked a lot of the vectors and body mechanics in the five elements was when he started showing me exercises with a spear some of them mm -hmm. are standard techniques that you're used to like lanaja some of them are not they're completely unique exercises including shaking including rolling including other things that we used to do with it uh, it's mm -hmm. quite a lot but they 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 help you to develop the correct mechanics that then come out again in the bare hand. So the 12 animals for us is more a, a taking of the vectors and mechanics that you've developed in the five elements up to that point. And each animal usually either has one or more vectors that it's uh, combined from the five elements. Um, and then it either goes deeper into one or the other uh, but you know it's it's a it's based on the five elements but in reality it's the application of the five elements mm -hmm. so if you look at the first animal which is longxing or dragon it really is qi zuan lo fan it's literally rising and drilling overturning and falling on a very big scale with a peculiar type of body mechanic and additional techniques that uh, are applicable to use but uh, if you look at its meat and bones it's pichuan it's mm. just a version of Pichuan. So if your ve vectors of Pichuan are developed correctly, then Longxing will come out correctly. If you look at the, sec the first version of Tiger that we do, which is like Hupu, it really is, if you want to look at it from a broad perspective, it's double-handed Pichuan. It's two hands doing Qi Zuan and Luo Fan. So you see how it's very much connected as you do other variations etc you'll see more aspects to you know like this one's got some p and some hung in it this one's got p twin um hands but uh pao twin's footwork with a little bit of bung twin's energy in it right so hmm. when you start seeing it like this you start realizing how the five elements actually drive the 12 animals so you basically want to kind of take the same principles and body mechanics and look at them from different perspectives and and experiment uh, with them in different contexts, I guess, also for different techniques to ingrain them more. Well, it's teaching you how to apply them in a multitude of ways. Hmm. So that's why it's elements. I mean, it's elements that make up something, right? Yeah. So that, that, that's how it's, I think is a healthy way to see it. Hmm. How does how does partner training feature into this? Because this is usually a kind of a point of contention in a lot of maybe not just Chinese martial arts, but also especially in internal martial arts. Like when do you start with basic partner exercises, or how does how does the progression go in in Xingyichuan usually? Pretty early as well. So usually at that point when you've done the five elements, you start learning something called Zhao Shou Pao or Sancho Pao. Sancho Pao just means three hands clash, right? So it's usually, it's got, a, depending on the lineage, it's uh, usually three elements or so that you do with a partner in, in succession. He's doing, mm -hmm. a, a, he's, his three are spaced at a, at a, a way that they counter your three, which are countering his three, right? So you do two versions. One is usually on the spot. The other one is moving. So you start to progress into certain partner exercises. And then there's, there's drills as well that you can do that are like pulling out of that, like pow and bung combined with uh, uh, the partner doing versions of P, you know, and, 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 and things like this, uh, stepping, not stepping, etc. So ideally, it starts at that point already, you start, you start understanding how these things work and where they mm. should work. And like when you withdraw your hand, your rear hand in P trend, uh, while you most people focus on the, the, the lead hand that's extending, well, the rear hand elbow is scraping your ribs. So if I start punching at your ribs, you start realizing why that rear hand has to be drawn in and, and why it's scraping and hitting back so hard while the front hand attacks a neck or, or whatever. So hmm. all, of these, all of these things only start to really make sense when, when, you, when you do this type of partner stuff. Hmm. Do you then go there, uh, go from there to more like freestylish types of practice? Is there, I mean, like sparring or wrestling type of stuff or, or like Taiji's Tui Show or something like that, like pushing hands? So pushing hands and wrestling are not really the uh, tactics of Xing Yichuan. Xing Yichuan mm -hmm. is a slightly different tactical approach to combat. 
you do start going into free fighting and uh, we had different ways of doing that as well controlled or you can put on gear the best method is to put on some gear um because it's safe um you're also both mm. learning about your inabilities mostly uh, mm. hope people hope people realize that the point of that sparring is to realize how much you suck not at defending yourself because you might be able to hang back and block things but you'll realize how much you suck at actually applying something too so mm. it's an important process but yeah we we do go on to that that kind of stuff too um but this really depends on who's at training and that's another aspect of of the reality of chinese martial arts as it's always been you know i'll be there if i'm there and there's uh, one of the other more um one of my kung fu brothers who's a little bit more accomplished yeah maybe he'll do that but there's a lot of people that just don't feel like doing that and that's fine there's nothing wrong with it so i'm not going to force somebody to do it if they don't want to do it so mm. so it all depends on who you're with i i had a few of my kung fu brothers that we do this quite regularly with i still do it with them so you know we 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 do that and my and master d is very supportive of it you know he always he actually i'd see him enjoying it quite a bit standing on the side and giving his feedback on mm. why your punch sucked or why this guy's punched you in the face so many times you know so mm. yeah you probably also want to don't want to do this with complete beginners because they don't have any skills to really work on while sparring right i mean when there's nothing there i mean it, no there's no point that's why i say we go from set movements to set forms to set partner work you can only go from set to free slowly you can't immediately go to free no. um he's just gonna flail his arms around like a lunatic no do you have um this is another usually another controversial point do you have specific like strength training is it encouraged or even weight training or like conditioning like i mean southern chinese styles obviously have a lot of like hardening the body and then the yeah. iron shirt methods is there something either in the in terms of toughening up hardening up or also strength building in in xingyi and hebei xingyi yeah so conditioning partner stuff you do as well and with trees were very mm -hmm. common i i mean i remember even doing um Uh I mean you you got the usual things that you've seen in a lot of Chinese martial arts arm bashing body bashing side bashing whether you do it with a partner but I also remember my teacher in the beginning telling me to do hu hu on a tree tiger pouncing on a tree over and over again our oblique mm -hmm. kick kicking a tree over and over again that's part conditioning and part learning how to issue force right so um there's that of course the strength side of things i often remember beginners and if they were a little bit younger my teacher telling them to do push-ups and stuff there you know so there's no aversion to this even mm -hmm. stretching which i think is a uh, one of the things that a lot of traditional chinese martial artists seem to neglect stretching so we don't kick high in xing yichuan but we would stretch my teacher as well he had great flexibility he's very old now but in his younger years i mean he could fold himself in half so you know and and i i kept my stretching so he would always encourage me to stretch even throwing your legs up and down to stretch it's not about kicking per se it's about having mm. flexibility so um strength training of course as well i mentioned uh, basic things but remember the The, the the spears we use in Xingyi are big so when we use a taganza that's quite a lot of weight and it's it's if you're doing a lot of repetitions i mean you're doing strength training so this is why i also find it quite strange when you hear a lot of internal martial artists saying no don't do any weights all right so put the big spear down because hmm. it's a weight whether you like it or not it's just an applied weight i mean you're using it in a very specific way but don't fool yourself your muscles are getting stronger by you doing that so we favor those kind of things so we have kung fu with bricks as well um that uh you add more and more bricks and uh, they have specific movements and but i mean literally it's it's building muscle and strength so yes yeah. we have we have these aspects as well yeah interesting and, and, i mean the... yeah go ahead No, no. We just wanted to mention we also have the daga, and it's very common in a lot of northern styles, right? To use um, like long, long poles and then spears for training. Right, yeah. right, right. And I mean, if you look at like even bagua, it was very common for people to do iron hand 
So I find mm. it strange when people say, oh, we don't do conditioning today. Well, you just go back one or two generations, you see a lot of these people were doing conditioning. Whether they were bashing their arm on a wall, on a tree or a wall, you know, the forearm doing Zuan Quan, you're doing conditioning. Don't fool yourself. That's what that's it, but that's what that is, right? Mm. Now, I guess with, with some of the conditioning, there's also, I mean, I guess you have to be careful, at least with some of the exercises in regarding health, at least I think when you overdo it, that, that seems to be a, a strong argument, then it might actually also be damaging to health. Mm. But how, how does like how does health in, in general feature into Xingyichuan? I would assume that you don't do crazy conditioning uh, anyway, but uh, mm. in, in the sense of uh, like ruining your hands or your fingers just to get uh, like uh, this, this iron palm thing or something. But um, yeah most people aren't employed in uh, caravan escort agencies anymore so mm. the re the requirement that your hand better be hard as steel so you can save your life is not really existing anymore so i would say um it's not it's not so if you want to do it go ahead by all means you know but it's not really something that i think you need to that degree anymore i think you i practice conditioning a little bit more than some of my other kung fu brothers because you do need to have conditioning for, for mm. something to be used uh, effectively you're going to have to have at least some level of conditioning right so um health wise everything in moderation of course you know a lot of the nagung we do is is about health preservation it's got you know more than one use it's not just about the body mechanics it's also about health health building as well so you know from, from that point of view the you know the health building is included in the training it's an all-in-one package so i mean you you spoke about you know damaging your fingers you know in the past like we, if, for example liang sao bagua primarily focuses on chuanjang chuanjang is piercing palm and we do it very much because it came through yin yin style we do it like mm -hmm. yin style it's a piercing palm with your fingertips i mean back in the days the guys were you know conditioning their fingers i heard stories of people doing so much conditioning that they didn't have fingernails anymore mm. you know so I mean, this is the reality of the use of those techniques we don't need to get to that level anymore of course you know so so yeah. but you know some some degree of conditioning is advisable no and like you said i mean that is also that would have been my next question this idea of um that you don't need maybe don't need extra exercise for health because i sometimes see that but actually it's built into the practice that the practice should be uh, supporting boosting or at least maintaining mm. health yeah um so you'll never hear my teacher saying he's teaching you qigong mm. uh, because first of all that's a uh, generally a newer term but you know those types of practices within our xingyi and our bagua were always called neigong and they weren't ever that okay now i'm doing this and it's only for health and now i'm doing this and it's only for martial it was usually combined so they had mm. both both aspects i mean i remember a lot of the time with the neigong practices which had specific vectors of development my teacher would always tell me all right when you're doing this you're inhaling until you're completely full very slowly and then while you're timing it to exhale until you're completely empty you know so we were working on aspects that you would think are somewhat useless if you're just looking at the functional use of a technique but they had other other uses in terms of the uh, health effect yeah. does this go for kind of more like introspective training as well i mean um, let's let's use terms like i don't know mindfulness or meditation for lack of a better word mm. it's also charge terms but um is this also that something that's included in the training do we have specific exercise for this or is it well i like if you know how intent heavy xing yi is and then when you're doing zhang it's not different from doing mindfulness meditation it really yeah. isn't that it reaps the same rewards it's just a different road to the top of that hill so yeah yeah that's what i what i assumed because i i know a lot of people usually think that okay so i have my practice now i just need to find these couple of negong practices and then that will make my practice better but it's not really then it's not really integrated into what you normally do and that's kind of i don't know mm. seems I mean, weird to me i've i've remember I don't remember how long ago it was, but I remember one day my teacher telling me, okay, don't do P-Tren like that today. Do it like this. And he was doing it with me. And each each repetition of P-Tren took like 45 seconds. 
And we did it like that, going across the floor really slowly. It took like half an hour to do a line or two of peach hmm. you know? So when somebody's saying he needs to go find something from outside, usually it's staring at him right in the face. He just doesn't know where to look or how, hmm. how, to, how to access it. Hmm. Yeah. Now, you're also teaching yourself, right? I mean, I know that you also do some stuff online, but um, do you also teach in, in person in Beijing? Yeah, well, I mean, my teacher's daughter lives in Australia. And just before the pandemic, he had been down there. And, you know, as he's getting older, and he, she wants mom and dad to be closer. And it makes sense, you know, one child, mm. elderly parents. So then the pandemic, and he's kind of been there. He hasn't been able to come back since. Um, but the reality is, I don't know if now, even now things are open, he'll probably not be spending as much time every year here when he does come back. You know, so, you know, so in that period, some of my Kung Fu brothers and I would carry on with my training, they would just come to me and we train together. So, and, and because I'm one of my teachers, you know, more closer students, I've learned pretty much the most out of all of his, all of his disciples. They, you know, I would be helping them too. So I kind of grew out of that. So I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I'd call that teaching on its own, but it is teaching, right? I'm also training mm. at, the, at the same time. And yes, I've, I started the online, online program and I occasionally have people that do either online classes or some of them in person here. Uh, and, and, and that's just grown out of that, you know, kind of uh, organically. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm also asking about the teaching because usually at the end of an episode, I'm, I'm really interested in uh, seeing where you would like the, the, maybe not the whole martial arts community, I think that's too big, but um, maybe the, the internal martial arts community or specifically people who practice Shinji and Bagua, where that community, where do, you, where do you hope that community should go? Like, how should it develop? Like, what, what's important to you? What, what would you like to see in the, in the Chinese martial arts world? Well, I don't know from the general Chinese martial arts world. I mean, one of the things that I was quite happy with um, after I, I stopped working for the International Federation was that I was able to just focus on my arts, right? So my art being Xinyi and Bagua. So, um, and I know what I'm trying to do with that for posterity's sake. Um, so I don't want to talk on in general about Chinese martial arts, but specifically with Xinyi and Bagua, what I have seen over the last few years is, you know, back in the day, you had what you would see mostly Southern styles that were starting to be taught in the West initially, everything from Choi Lei Fu to Hungar to Wing Chun, which are all mm. great, st great styles, right? And then you started to see Tai Chi coming out, and that was interesting because it was so different. And... What I've kind of seen over the last few years is that it seems like they're using the next couple of arts of Xingyi and Bagua as a new soup of the day kind of thing. Oh, you're tired of that old dish there. We've all seen Wing Chun. We've all seen this. So let's start selling and advertising uh, Xingyi and Bagua now. So mm -hmm. suddenly you see this explosion of access, even down to people teaching it. But the quality is very well, let's just say it's not where it should be, right? So if I could say anything, I would like, I would like to see a lot more uh, honest, competent people coming out and a lot less people just saying, oh, these five elements, I can just quickly learn those and teach them. And, uh, you know, people are interested now because it's like the hot topic. Right? So mm -hmm. let's teach mm -hmm. that because it's just degrading things, right? So in that sense, you know, Uh, that's as, and and I don't want to talk for anybody else. That's why I hold myself to a high standard. So at the end of the day, if I'm going to preach, I should walk the walk first. Yeah. So my goal is just to do as everything I do as best as I can. You know, if mm -hmm. you haven't done your best, you can pretend that you did your best, but you know deep inside if you haven't. So that's as far as I can take it is to do my best. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, a, that's an, a fair and interesting perspective because, uh, I mean, a lot of the discussions online usually revolve around, oh, you know, can people who train traditional martial arts, specifically Chinese martial arts, can people who train that actually fight and everything? And then people sometimes suggest, oh, you just have to do more sparring. But my impression is that actually, like we said before, when you don't have any skills to apply, then sparring also doesn't help you. So I think maybe the, the competent teaching and training should actually come first. And... Uh, I would say the other side of that whole question is I think people need to be a little bit more 
down to earth when they ask that question about fighting. Can you fight? And the question is, fight who? Hmm. My, that, who are you fighting? I mean, if you're talking about can you protect yourself when there's an altercation outside that randomly happens because some some guy bumped into you and then became aggressive, yeah, probably. But if you think you're going to enter and fight with professional athletes, um, that's something else you have to prepare for, right? Hmm. So I think people need to be a little bit more realistic about what these arts were for, where they were aimed at being trained and used, and just accept it. You can't take a square peg and shove it into a round hole. I'm not going to use Xingyi Chuan and go become the UFC champion using pure Xingyi Chuan. It's not mm -hmm. possible. The format doesn't uh, accommodate it. Uh, you'd have to cut so much out. You'd then also have to train a whole lot of other things because the situation is different. And then you'd have to become an elite level athlete physically because that's who you're fighting against. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, I, you know, I, I would hope that people would become a little bit more sane with their, their whole discussion on, on this topic. Yeah, slightly more nuanced approach, I think, would yeah. very, be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think, but I think that's a very good note um, to end on because that is pretty much also what I'm hoping for. So, uh, thanks for that, and okay. thank you for for the insights into Xingyi. That was um, quite interesting, and uh, at least I mean, for me, I mean, already knew a little bit about Xingyi Chuan, but I I'm never really trained it except for like, a little bit at a at a workshop once. Hmm. Um, but I, I got a much better um, idea of, of how the the, the training is supposed to work. So, and I uh, hope that other listeners or the listeners will also get that impression well i'm glad i'm glad i, I enjoyed talking to you and uh yeah so for me talking about Xingyi is always something that i enjoy doing so thanks for giving me the opportunity yeah you're welcome and um, let's see well there might be other topics that we you know uh, can talk about later like uh, i said this before we started taping you know maybe discussions about specific aspects of chinese martial arts could be very interesting to have your perspective on on there as well and, okay uh, yeah all right great All right. Thank you very much. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you had a great time. The next episode will air next month. And until then, feel free to check out our Instagram account, where we also feature some of the people we talk to, other practitioners and teachers of Chinese martial arts, and anything else that might be interesting in the world of Kung Fu. Thanks. Take care and... Hope to meet again.